Today's show is sponsored by PingPlotter. Test end user connections for any worker from anywhere using PingPlotter's network troubleshooting app. Get connectivity and performance details quickly and efficiently and solve problems faster. Visit pingplotter.com slash packetpushers to learn more and get 25% off your first three months. That's pingplotter.com slash packetpushers. Welcome to the IPv6 Buzz podcast, where we dare to dive into the 128-bit Atrus Space wormhole. Quick reminder, there's sponsorship opportunities available for IPv6 Buzz and all the other Packet Pusher podcast shows. So if you're interested, just head over to packetpushers.net slash sponsorship. You can get all the details. Uh, and if you got something cool working with V6, hey, we really want to hear from you. We want to get a chance to chat, see what's going on. I'm Ed Horley with my co-host Tom Coffey and Scott Hogan. Today, we're going to be talking about the 10th anniversary of World IPv6 launch and and a little bit about Nanog 85 and, and all that good stuff. So we're in, we're in June of 2022, and, and, uh, and uh, we just recently celebrated the, uh, the 10th anniversary, I guess, of World IPv6 launch. God, has it been 10 years already? Yeah, you're that old. You were there for the first time around, <laughs> <laughs> launching it all. And, and maybe we should explain what the heck World IPv6 is. Well, I guess we should start with World IPv6 Day and then talk about World IPv6 launch so people actually know the difference about what's going on there. And then we can, in the show notes, there'll be a, a link for the site itself, uh, which is still currently active and, and, and still has stuff going on. You guys want to want to talk about it. I mean, Tom, you were sort of part of the original sort of crew around all yeah, that. Yeah, so I got roped into helping out with, uh, you know, being one of the original participants in IPv6 Day, World IPv6 Day, and that was really about kicking the tires on IPv6. It, it's it's hard to imagine now, but there was a time when IPv there was a thing called IPv6 brokenness that was preventing wide-scale adoption of IPv6 by content providers, and it basically boiled down to, you know, you get a link local address, IPv6 does its thing and gives you a link local address. And it's like, woohoo, your operating system says, I have an IPv6 connection. Of course, it's actually not connected to the IPv6 internet. Uh, but back then, the preference was to try to connect over IPv6 first and then fall back to IPv4. That was like standard host and application behavior. Uh, but that timeout was like agonizingly long, depending on what browser you're using what operating system it could be as long as like 270 seconds or something which is like you know you wait two minutes for ipv6 to fail and then fall back to ipv4 now in the meantime you know you and me and scott and the, the IPv, ipv6 weirdos of the world we knew what was going on but you know the the, the average user at home is like hey my internet's down the internet's closed i guess i have to come back tomorrow um and this was really of cons major concern to the content providers. Who, they didn't want to enable IPv6 on their primary domains with this IPv6 brokenness. When you have, you know, a, like some estimate would be that there'd be, you know, tens of thousands of users who'd be impacted by this. So you know, a tiny fraction of the overall portion of the internet, but pr really damaging to the brands of, you know, Yahoo and Google and whoever whoever else that was trying to be accessed at the time. Um, and so World IPv6 Day was a way to really sort of figure out how much of that brokenness was actually out there and, and you know, figure out if it was going to be safe for these content providers to configure uh, uh, quad A records, you know, IPv6, turn on IPv6 for their primary domains. And uh, it was a successful event in uh, June of 2011. And, you know, they figured out that the brokenness wasn't probably as bad as they thought it was. Of course, in the meantime, now we have happy eyeballs. And so this whole problem has gone away where, you know, right. the operating system and the browser, whatever application you're using, it's like, hey, if I can't get to it over IPv6, I'm going to use IPv4. 
immediately. And by immediately, that's like sub-second, you know, right. resolution that's happening and making sure that you're using the address family that's actually working well. So, but that's all in the, in these uh, prehistoric days of IPv6 <laughs> and world IPv6 day and launch. So, so launch, so flat, this, sorry for the history, the long, long-winded history lesson, folks. But, you know, so then a year later after world IPv6 day was successful and the amount of IPv6 brokenness was seen as something that could be tolerated as long as by the content providers, as long as all the content providers made a pack to turn on IPv6 on, on all their primary domains at the same time. So, you know, if, if Google and Yahoo and, and uh, Facebook and if, every, if everybody did it at the same time, then, you know, there, there wouldn't be like somebody can't get to, to Google because of IPv6 brokenness because they've configured a quad A. But meanwhile, Yahoo's still working because uh, they don't have a quad A configured and everyone's connecting over IPv4, um, you know, then that's sort of like a yeah, it's um, all or nothing. We're yeah, all in together. Right. You know, all, right. All, we all well, fail together or we, that's all, right. or we all succeed together. Hang, so hang together or hang separately, as Ben Franklin said. So so that yeah. was World IPv6 launch. Let's turn it on. Let's turn it on and leave it on. Let's turn on those quad A records for primary domains and leave them on for content providers. That was one of the three major, basically, conditions of World IPv6 launch. And and maybe you guys want to talk about the other two, uh, if, you, if you recall what they are. Well, I, I wanted to just bring one brief thing back when sure. you were talking about day, which was that um, for those that um, that were trying to experiment and play around with it, that there existed a thing way back in the day that Google actually had a yeah, not so PC term of an IPv6 whitelist and blacklist configuration that you could actually get on. Oh, that's <laughs> to, right. That's right. To, to be able to avoid these things and be able to test V6 capabilities with Google. Uh, in a more proactive way, it was a way to formalize and say that you 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 acknowledged that you understood some of the structural problems of of v six and that if you didn't have working v six that you were going to have you know issues of, mm -hmm. of getting access to Google themselves. And so they wanted to be very you know specific about who they permitted to be able to come into their network and connect with v six. So it was an interesting sort of uh, time to be involved with that process because if you didn't know how to do that, then you really didn't have visibility into the v six internet, even though you were on it. To mm -hmm. a certain degree. Oh, yeah, absolutely. And that was a sort of a good intro overall for the World V6 sort of launch. It was with sort of everyone just agreeing that we're going to turn it on and leave it on, right? It was a, really the initiative around World V6 launch for all the major content providers to basically step in and say like, hey, we're turning it on, we're leaving it on, and we're calling it good. And we're leaving it on from here on out, right? It's not just to turn it on, test it, and turn it back off again. Yeah, exactly. And and again, this was before Happy Eyeballs, and so again, it was a, a sort of pact to let's all do it at once. Um, but it wasn't the those were the, that was only one of the the sort of three elements behind World IPv6 launch. The other one was. Uh, you know, really getting the ISPs on board. And, and that sounds a little strange today, at least from my perspective, in that, you know, we're, we're always sort of talking about, you know, we always mention as an aside, it's like, well, we're talking about enterprise adoption. Meanwhile, most of the ISPs, you know, especially the, the large scale ISPs have, have already adopted IPv6, you know, both on the mobile and the broadband side. But that wasn't necessarily the case in 2012. So launch was a way of also getting them so that they were focused on getting at least 1% of their residential wireline subscribers. You know, and now when you look at the stats of Verizon and, and Comcast and you see that, you know, 70 to 90% of their network traffic is over IPv6, it seems a little strange to talk about 1%, but that was the, that was the gauntlet that was thrown down for a World IPv6 launch for ISPs. 
And then the, the final plank of it was, you know, really getting the, the CPE manufacturers to, to make IPv6 available by default, which is another way to maybe sort of get at that IPv6 brokenness problem, like in a different way. But uh, that was that was the third sort of plank or requirement of IPv6 launch. Yeah. OK, that's that all makes sense to me. Let's talk a little bit about maybe Nanog 85, which was just for the 10th anniversary. There were some presentations that were given there. And I think, you know, actually Scott gave a presentation <laughs> on behalf of the task forces. Yeah, you can go to nanog.org and see the agenda for that day, Monday, uh, June 6th, 2022. Uh, there were several presentations and it was coordinated that that day was going to be the celebration of the anniversary launch anniversary, <laughs> and there were going to be several talks uh, that day on the Nanog agenda uh, that focused on IPv6. The first was an opening keynote, uh, Vince Cerf and uh, John Brzezowski uh, talked about, you know, the history, but then also where do we go from here and what's left. And really the focus was, hey, we've proven that IPv6 works. And now the goal is keep pushing and have IPv6 turned on by default and strive for IPv6 only. And Vint was concerned, you know, there's lots of places where either, you know, the manufacturer or the service or the infrastructure doesn't automatically turn on IPv6. An end user doesn't know they need to turn it on or doesn't, don't even know that they need to ask for it to be turned on. An application developer is more interested in the functionality of the application, does not know that about this underlying protocol and doesn't necessarily know that they need to turn that on or that it's a manual thing that should be turned on or, or some services like you might expect a cloud service or a SaaS service. You don't think, oh, I need to turn on IPv6 or I have to ask for IPv6 to be enabled. Why isn't it just on by default at this, at this late stage? <laughs> Um, and so that was the first talk in the morning. Um, then there was a, a IPv6 tutorial. Um, Ron Bonica uh, gave an IPv6 intro and uh, technical introduction and a tutorial. Uh, I did a, a celebration of the 10th anniversary of World IPv6 launch, but as a ambassador of the North American IPv6 task force groups, uh, I talked about you kind of the history, who the task forces are, that history that Ed and Tom, you just kind of talked about, and then recognized, you know, the accomplishments of, you know, of service providers, of, you know, tier one ISPs and internet exchanges and how name servers now, uh, root name servers are all, you know, dual stack. The, the, accomplishments of the mobile service providers, you know, that drove a lot of IPv6 adoption uh, and usage on the internet, residential broadband ISPs. And we've come a long way since the launch. It was just, they were just trying to aim for 1% of their subscribers. Uh, and that was difficult 10 years ago. Now, you know, many residential broadband ISPs have 50% or higher, you know, uh, V6 enabled subscribers. Um, content providers, you know, companies like Google and Facebook and <clears throat> other CDNs and Akamai, they've got published statistics showing that there's, there's quite a bit of IPv6 out there, but also statistics showing that there's more work to be done in the content space, more websites need to be turned on. 
many people who launch a website or, or request for a website to be made, their business doesn't know that it needs to have V6 turned on by default. So right. anything with, with cloud and CDNs, you know, those things should just come with V6 on by default. And then we talked about, well, what are some of the challenges? Well, you know, still it's left for many enterprises to enable IPv6. Uh, and, and what are the things that keep them back? Um, and, you know, then kind of talk about what the future's like. So then that was my talk. And then there was a panel, you know, what progress have been, has been made by your organizations? Where are you at now? What was your journey? And then now what are you doing to have that IPv6 on by default, IPv6 only, what are you doing in the next steps? And so a really good panel uh, discussion and some good questions from the audience. And I think they'll, they'll make it on demand available mm -hmm. if I'm, if I'm not mistaken for the nanox slide. So you should be, should still be able to catch it if you haven't had a chance to, to, to sort of see the content yourself. Mm -hmm. um, but I, I think it's well worth it. I mean, Vince always great to watch anyway, because mm -hmm. he's always, yeah pretty entertaining. <laughs> yeah. Uh, I think uh, Aaron gave an update too, right? For being North Americans, uh, regional internet registrar. So if you're trying to get some more information about what Aaron's doing and sort of their numbers and where they're looking at, I think they normally give an update at Nanog too, right? Yeah, they did that. And, yeah. 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 Cool. And then they, there was also uh, John Sweeting uh, gave that update. John Sweeting was also involved in a panel talking about IPv4 uh, address transfer. Boom. Hiss. <laughs> <laughs> well, we don't know. We don't necessarily mind as long as you're adopting IPv6 and at the same time, right? Yeah. But. And that was one thing that panel on IPv4 address transfers mentioned is absolutely all of them, all of the people on that panel said, absolutely be working on IPv6. IPv4 address transfers has nothing to do with v6 v6 is still a top priority for all of their businesses regardless yeah, can, of their shortage of can, yeah can you can you imagine if aaron put like a you know proviso in policy that said that you had to demonstrate you know just like the federal omb mandate you had to demonstrate a certain amount of ipv6 running on your network before they, they'd approve a, a transfer of ipv4 address resources <laughs> that might be interesting let's pause the conversation for a brief message from sponsor ping plotter if you're supporting remote workers, you need visibility into end-user networks. Pingplotter is a network troubleshooting app that constantly tests connections from the end-user's perspective. Diagnose internet connection problems for any worker from anywhere using a centralized dashboard. Pingplotter helps you unravel issues quickly and efficiently thanks to automated alerts. It includes REST API alerts that enable event-based automations across multiple apps. Pingplotter's Insight tool helps you dispatch more of the workload to frontline support and basic network troubleshooting to end users. You can have a diagnosis in as little as 10 minutes without any intervention on your part. Pingplotter helps make remote work better for your IT team and your end users. Visit pingplotter.com slash packetpusher to learn more and find out how you can get 25% off your first three months. One more time, that's pingplotter.com slash packetpushers. And now back to the conversation. You know, some there there are some strange efforts that are afoot <laughs> in terms of trying to, you know, keep IPv4 space uh, or recover IPv4 space from from the deep dredges. I don't know if that's something we should be bringing up on a on a World V6 launch <laughs> launch anniversary, but <laughs> there's yeah. some weird, we've there's kind some, of we've kind of nudged on that topic before. You know, desperate times call for desperate measures, and people have yeah. come up with all kinds of desperate workarounds that probably take as much effort as just if not moving more. forward with IPv6. And um, 
they're very uh, contrived and difficult and uh, are just in their infancy. Yeah. yeah, the uh, the the AP Nick blog I think that you shared recently had related to a proposal to is it reclaim essentially reclaim the network address if I was I, I only skimmed it but that seemed to be the the upshot of it which well, yeah that and several others some of the some of the unused e space and mm-hmm. things like that that yeah and and I guess yeah. and what what percentage are we talking about maybe so I think the title was around four, seven seven or eight percent of yeah four or five it, it's four to five if of, of probably of pragmatic space seven percent if you're being optimistic mm-hmm. sort of how you sort of how you sort of look at it but I, I think even the four percent is optimistic. There's just certain there's just certain OSs that have been around for forever and ever and ever. Windows being one of them. That you make this change, you're just never going to get this updated in the older OSs. Yeah, that, that was that was literally the first thing that came to my mind was that this you know this seems like something that just is just going to stacks are just going to puke. I mean, they, you know, there's just yep. no way to get there from here unless you're literally rewriting that stack code. But I don't know. Yeah, I mean, you'd have to upgrade all the network devices, because go to a Cisco or Juniper or your favorite vendor, go to their interface, Ethernet, whatever, IP address, blah, and try and type in one of those addresses and see what you get back. You're not going to, it's not going to accept it. And so all of the network devices, layer two, layer three network devices in the core, P routers, PE routers, like, I mean, dog, and everything in the core. Everything, yeah. yeah, Needs to be up beyond the fact Beyond then the fact that ACLs all over. Yeah, every firewall, yeah. every middle box, every bogon filter, everything at the edge of networks, at the boundaries between right. two networks need to be updated. Then every host operating system in the entire world <laughs> needs to be upgraded. And mind you, these are just IETF drafts at the moment. They're early drafts at that. So by the time it gets through the IETF, becomes an RFC, then you have to upgrade the entire infrastructure, the entire internet, you know, uh, probably DNS servers, probably DNS servers, all the root name servers now, all, you know, it's basically upgrade everything on the planet and then it might be usable. And that seems slightly harder than just deploying IPv6. Yeah. It's going to suffer from the same log jam problems that IPv6 suffered from before World IPv6 launch. Right. And then it took us a decade to get to this point, even after the launch. So that's a long strategy. And I, I think you the don't know. I mean, if if you could put effort towards V6, 10 years from now, where's V6 going to be? 10 years from now, where's you know, 224 and 0.0.0.0 and 1.27 going to be 10 years from now. Although I have to admit, I sort of want to own the 0.0.0. <laughs> That'd be a great address block to own. But anyway, I, 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 yeah, I can't disagree with you guys. I mean, it's, it seems foolhardy to, to, to try and go through that amount of effort. There is some argument to be said that, uh, you know, maybe part of that address space could just be used for, you know, internal purposes, add on to the RFC 1918 address range. You don't have to worry about it going on the public internet side, just more addresses for internal networks to utilize. And if they can make use of it, they can make use of it. But I'm still super dubious about how that helps you in any given configuration. It just means more NAT on NAT because you're going to have situations where that stuff doesn't work, in which case you have to NAT to something else and you're right back in the same position you were before. <laughs> yeah, and you st- and then on top of all that, you have to update all your NATs. 
Yes, yeah, you do have to update all your NATs. And if they'll even work to NAT to that address. Yeah. Space, I guess it's exactly. Yeah. 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 So it's, 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 yeah, it's just turtles the whole way down. Yeah. <laughs> it's the only way yeah. to describe it. And yeah. it's, it's not a good thing. And given how far along we are with, with V6 adoption, especially around the sort of the global internet side, maybe not on the enterprise side, but on the global internet side, mm-hmm. there is some pretty significant acceleration within the last few years just because of this tightness within IPv4 public address space and what is actually available on the market and how quickly it's being consumed by like public cloud providers. Yeah. Like how fast services are getting turned on there. And there may just be a duration of time where we're just waiting for more and more enterprises to give up their V4 address space that it gets converted to public clouds or they're working private agreements where they're just handing their address space over to the public clouds uh, to get their services turned up. Where, yeah, maybe it's just natural attrition and things move over that direction uh, and, v- and V4 stays alive as part of a you know public cloud strategy more than a public internet backbone strategy of having enterprises have a bunch of address space, right? Um, and that, that's a possibility too. But either way, uh, just to continue growing at the, at the pace and we've got, you know, here in North America and specifically the US, we have a pretty myopic view of oh, well, you know, I've got my slash 16 of IPv4 address space. What am I worried about um, sort of thing? But the rest of the world doesn't have that luxury of, of having as much public address space, public v4 address spaces as we were the great beneficiaries of early on within the sort of early days of the internet. And I think that's one of the things that's, that's coming to roost now is that those locations and parts of the world that don't have that proliferation of IPv4 address space are like, forget it. We're just going to use V6. We have an unlimited resource for us, effectively unlimited resource for us to go build what we need to build. And uh, we don't need to be tied to that legacy protocol anymore. We can just go build what we want to at scale the way we want to and not have to worry about those things. That's just my quick my quick take on it. And, and a good example of this is how quickly uh, the Asia Pacific regions have added at you know V6. If you go look at the Akamai charts and you look how quickly some of these countries have come online, adding V6 and how quickly they've grown and how big of a percentage of their overall traffic is V6, I, I think people would be very, very surprised. And the US is, is, is not even ranking in the top 10 anymore for, for V6 address space uh, in terms of like Akamai's reports. Um, yeah, so we're like coming in at 19, 20, 21, yeah. that, that range. Malaysia is up at 50, is greater than 50%. Mm-hmm. Um, which is, you know, India is being listed at 48%, but I think, you know, their, their overall adoption is probably a little bit bigger than that. Uh, just depends on the measurement types, but this is optimized measurements and Greece is, Greece is higher up the, the list than us. So is Brazil. So is Mexico. Um, Sri Lanka is higher. Uh, Japan's higher. So, you know, we, we've, we've got to keep things sort of in, in perspective in terms of like how the overall worldwide adoption is, is looking and, uh, and how that plays out. And it's not just a U.S. centric, even though NANOG is obviously a U.S. centric, uh, North American centric, uh, uh, entity, just like, you know, Aaron is, uh, I, I think the bigger challenge is, you know, the, the top five are all greater than 50% IPv6 adoption. Yeah. We're, we're excited to see that sort of worldwide adoption taking off. Yeah. So it's, it's just an interesting thing to look at and, you know, we're not, it's, we're not trying to say that, you know, the V6 is the end all be all and it's the only way uh, things need to go, even though this is the IPv6 Buzz podcast. I think we're, I think we're pretty pragmatic about talking about V4 in relative relation to, to V6. We, but we, I think we all know that V4 is going to be around for a long, long time um, in terms of what's going on. But I think the, the acceleration has been happening 
um, you know, it's it's been picking up in terms of, of, of the rate. And I think yeah. that's something that people need to pay attention to. All right. Anything else we wanted to cover from Nanog? I mean, is it sounded like there was a bunch of really cool, interesting stuff on the V6 side. I mean, imagine the panel was all like, you know, just hurry up and get going with V6. I don't know if that was. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah, but they were also quite realistic as well. <laughs> yeah, good. Yeah. Well, as it should be, right? Yeah. And, and I guess, I guess, since it's been ten years, I mean, if you're, if that's the time frame that we're talking about, it, 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 I think we're justified in being pretty sanguine about the level of overall IPv6 adoption. Just that, you know, it, it when when you look at where the numbers were globally and you know, in 2011 and 2012, uh, you know, barely a blip on the on the the global use of IPv6 across the internet. You know, like yeah, less less than one percent. Less than one percent. Yeah, and you know, and now, I mean, of course, we. The, the folks in the IPv6 community have been pretty bullish and trying to get maybe that the the stat that we would exceed 50% IPv6 traffic on the on the global internet, you know, by 2017 or 2018, we kind of sort of missed that that target. But but you know, as you just described, and we're ta- we're talking about multiple countries around the world being you know north of 50% where IPv4 is the legacy protocol in those countries and. We even crossed that threshold here in the U.S. You know, back around the the, the first of the year. So the, I think it's fair to say that that there has been tremendous, tremendous progress in in the ten years. And you know, we could always we always want things to go faster, but it is you know looking back and seeing what what progress has been made. It's it's very positive. Yeah, a lot of work done by a lot of people mm-hmm. at a lot of different companies uh, to get us to where we are now. Yeah. But there's still a lot more work to be done by a lot more people, right? Uh, over the coming decade. Yeah, that's a, that's our that's our that's our mantra that we're calling out to everyone. Start learning your V6. Start getting deployed. You're gonna, you, you, it's it's gonna tip the balance on that side. And interestingly enough, I just took a quick glance at Google's IPv6 stats, and uh, worldwide for them, they're they're finally seeing numbers above forty percent. Yeah. So. I think that's a pretty big deal here in, in June. They they actually uh, peaked out above uh, 40%, 40% for native uh, or, you know, IPv6 related traffic. So that's a, that's a pretty interesting uh, overall, you know, that's a, you know, that's a combination overall number, but still really significant. So, you know, thanks to everyone who's put in the hard work, you know, I mean, if you're listening to the show, hats off to you. <laughs> <laughs> we, we deeply appreciate it as a community overall. Yeah, absolutely. And, and, and consider it a, a, a really significant, uh, you know, win in terms of uh, in terms of uh, performing that well. So, and if you got if you got interesting V six uh, related uh, tidbits, please share them with us. You know, hit us up on Twitter at uh, IPV six Buzz, and if it's uh, if it's cool stuff, we'll try and share it out with everyone. All right. Well, hey, unlike V6, we've run out of space for this podcast. You can reach the IPv6 Buzz podcast on Twitter, just like I mentioned at IPv6 Buzz. But you can also hit up each one of us. On Twitter too, uh, Tom is at IPv6Tom, Scott is at Scott Hogue, and I'm at E. Horley. And uh, thanks for listening to IPv6 Buzz. You can find us on the Packer Pushers or any of your favorite podcast apps. Just search for IPv6 Buzz. And uh, if you like the show, please give us a ratings on iTunes. And hey, if you like this podcast, we really recommend you check out, you know, Heavy Networking, Day 2 Cloud, uh, Network Break, all that other good, great technical content over at PackerPushers.net. Um, so long and until next time, we'll see you on the internet the IPv6 internet, that is. Thanks for listening to IPv6 Buzz, a podcast devoted to truth, justice, and 128 bits of address space. IPv6.